Reporter Kelsey Ray here with the Colorado Independent. This is the Indie Weekly Podcast. Early Wednesday morning, President Donald Trump took to Twitter to drop a bombshell. The U.S. government, quote, will not accept or allow transgender individuals to serve in any capacity in the U.S. military. In the series of three tweets, Trump cited, quote, tremendous medical costs and disruption as a rationale for his decision. The backlash has been swift. Many politicians, including Republicans, have spoken out against the president's order. Members of the LGBT community have criticized the move as a potentially fatal one to transgender service members who have or are considering coming out. And on Thursday, the Pentagon announced that transgender service members will be allowed to continue serving for now, at least until the Defense Department receives official rules from the White House. Today I'm sitting down with Emma Shin, a defense attorney and a retired U.S. Marine captain. She served in the military for 20 years until 2014. Emma is also transgender and transitioned in 2016. Thanks so much for being here today, Emma. Thanks for having me. My first question is, I want to know where you were and what your experience was when you first heard about or read these tweets from Donald Trump. I was at my apartment and, you know, just going through the news before I started my my normal workday. Um, and I was flabbergasted. I mean, that that's not sufficient. I mean, I, I was... Um, I was so angry initially at what I felt was a very callous disregard for the lives of our trans servicemen and women who are serving across the globe right now, um, some of them in Afghanistan. So that anger settled in for a little bit, uh, not going to lie. And then, you know, I got really sad, you know, because I'm thinking about these servicemen and women who relied on the administration's promise that open trans service was going to be the path from this point forward. Um, and that was last year, June 30th of 2016. And I tried to put myself in my in their shoes and think, like, what is going through their mind? And so I spent a, a fair amount of time, you know, in kind of that that mindset. And then I got very resolute, very uh, determined to do whatever I could to help the general public understand that transgender uh, service members serve for the same exact reason that everyone else does, right? I mean, there's a myriad of reasons for those, but... We don't join the military so that they can pay for our gender reassignment surgery. Um, we join the military because of patriotism, wanting to contribute to our society. I mean, there's a whole list of reasons. You know, Representative Steve King tried to make this analogy that people are going to join the military to pay for surgery and use this as some kind of subterfuge. And it's just ludicrous. There are other ways to accomplish that objective rather than you know, raising your right hand and potentially serving in a combat zone. I'm curious about your personal reasons for deciding to join the Marine Corps more than 20 years ago. Um, can you kind of walk me through your own your own reasons for doing that? I realized at a very early age that I was different, right? That the what I saw in the mirror didn't quite match what um, what I felt, right? Um, I didn't really have the words for that. You know, transgender wasn't um, a discussion point in you know 1976 through 1980. Um, dating myself now, um, but. What I can say is that growing up in the Deep South, in Mississippi and South Carolina, um, in a very uh, conservative religious family, I felt that I needed to do whatever I could to prove that I was a guy, right? To quote unquote, man up. Obviously, that worked out really well. Um, but, uh, you know, so if you can imagine a stereotypically masculine activity, I probably did it from being infantry in the Marine Corps to 
I have 150 skydives. I used to be an avid rock climber. I tried to do everything in my power to to fit into society's conception of who I was. And part of that is why the Marine Corps was so attractive, you know, because it is you know, uber masculine, at least stereotypically. Um, and so I thought that, uh, I mean, this wasn't like some kind of like conscious decision, but the Marine Corps was attractive to me because I, I thought that it would make me a man and prove to others, right? Assuage any doubts. The Marine Corps was my beard for 20 years. I've actually heard that there are there's a higher percentage of transgender men and women in the military than perhaps in the general population. You know, this is such an important population to the military. A, a distinction there is that, I mean, admittedly, we are a small percentage of, you know, of any population group, but transgender individuals, transgender uh, Americans are twice as likely as their cisgender counterparts to enlist or commission in the U.S. military. So we serve at a much higher percentage per capita, if you will, um, than quote-unquote normal. I hate using that word, but quote-unquote normal people. The The impact of, uh, of kicking people out or barring their service um, is going to have, I think, a, a hit to uh, Trump's retention policies or the, mil- the military's retention policies, rather. A decision to bar the transgender community from the military is going to be devastating no matter what, but particularly when it comes on the heels of former President Barack Obama's announcement that transgender people were not only welcome in the military, but welcome to come out and to transition and not be afraid. What do you think the effect is that this announcement comes so soon after a promise that allowed a lot of service members to feel you know, safer in their identity? I think the best word for it is betrayal. Our servicemen and women feel betrayed that they were able to come out and and identify uh, to their command, and then now they're going to be punished for it, for doing absolutely nothing wrong, um, and in fact following the guidance released by the administration. Um, So I think betrayal is a good word for it. I know that a lot of service members are afraid right now for the future, and also that the hate and vitriol that has bubbled up as a result of uh, President Trump um, marginalizing the trans community um, and uh, basically giving people a a free pass, um, or at least that's what it feels like, to discriminate, harass, uh, assault, and potentially kill. Last year, we had the highest number of trans murders in the U.S., um, and I think that, that this can only negatively impact that number by basically endorsing the marginalization of the trans community. In the military, it seems to me that, you know, chain of command is so important and there's so much respect for those in positions of authority above you. But what did it feel like as a former service member to receive this essentially order in the form of a tweet or three tweets? There's a reason why policy decisions aren't dictated in 140 characters. I'm just disgusted at you know this this partisan politics and you know self-aggrandizement approach that president trump takes you know via twitter and via the the news he's he is certainly uh, a challenging person to 
receive orders from because you you don't really know what's going to happen next and you're not confident that the reasoning behind it even if you disagree with it was thoughtful and takes into account the lives of americans across the globe in his i think second tweet trump cited this extreme medical cost and disruption. Um, I was hoping you could kind of walk us through what those costs actually look like and maybe put them into some context. Talk about fake news, right? That's hashtag fake news right there. The total budget for the Department of Defense for healthcare related items only, $49.3 billion. That's B, billion. And for active duty service members, that number is $6.27 billion annually. When you compare that to even the maximum estimated cost of healthcare provided to transgender service members at 8.4 million, that's million with an M, it's staggering, right? I mean, it's a drop in the bucket. And to say that this is the rationale, right? This is the primary reason why we're going to reduce this is to, you know, cut costs. You know, there's actually a really funny article on uh, on Duffel Blog um, that's written from the perspective of a F-35. Hold on, for listeners who may not know, because I just learned about this, what is Duffel Blog? Duffel Blog is a website that's very similar to The Onion, um, and so it's a satirical news website, but it's focused on military-related uh, topics. So the quote from the Duffel Blog article attributed to the F-35 as they spend how much on transgender medical services? 8.4 million? My God, that's like four screws and a couple of bolts on my ejection seat. The F-35 told reporters in between sips of cognac during his lunch break, I'm so glad Trump is ending this disgraceful waste of military spending. Also, when you compare, I mean, one of the things that's very popular comparison right now is erectile dysfunction treatment in uh, in the military compared to the cost of transgender healthcare services. For Erectile dysfunction treatment in the Department of Defense, $84 million annually. $41 million of that is for prescriptions of Viagra alone. So to say that we can't provide this because it's too costly is ridiculous and insulting to the lives of transgender service members. I understand that erectile and sexual health is important to a lot of people, but it's no more important than the lives of transgender service members and their ability for them to to have amazingly full lives, especially while they're protecting our country. What do you think your experience would have been like if you'd been allowed or at least known it was an option to come out as transgender during your time in the service? I think it would have been incredibly rewarding. Um, I can make the analogy from my own lived experience of post don't ask, don't tell. So I identify as both queer and trans. And during active duty, don't ask, don't tell was in place for the vast majority of it, right? It was repealed on September 20th of 2011. And after that, I came out as queer. And the difference between my experience of having to hide my sexuality and not, huge. I mean, huge doesn't even come close to describing it. Because now I didn't have to, I could be honest with my service members about, you know, who I was dating, right? Even at the time I I was married, but I I could, I didn't have to hide that part of me. And so similarly with the repeal of the ban against open trans service, it would have been even better. The repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell in the past six years, categorically a non-event across the board. Service members have, you know, been able to be open about their sexuality, their sexual orientation, and they are included in the command. Similarly, uh, 
in the past year, people have come out as transgender and on active duty and in the reserves. Literally almost no impact. I mean, there's been some logistical issues, you know, like, you know, you know which room are they going to stay in? You know, you know, can they have a, a guy or a girl roommate? But ultimately, all those have been resolved. And so it's not a it's not a burden. And with any new process, there's some there's some growing pains. But that's been ironed out over the past year. Are you hopeful that this I mean, do we assume that this is going to go through or are you still hopeful that this may not end up being what President Trump hoped it would be? I'm hopeful that President Trump will realize the impact of those three tweets and will give this the proper thought that it needs. I mean, Senator Orrin Hatch from Utah came out in support of open trans service. I mean, there's there's a laundry list of people, including Senator John McCain. And here locally in, in Colorado, Senator Cory Gardner actually came out in support. I mean, Republicans from Alabama, North Carolina, Alaska, Ohio have come out and saying, we've seen the, the lives of service members and how they directly contribute to our military mission and that trans people should be included in that. I think that's very powerful. Let's say that Trump dictates to the Department of Defense that uh, transgender service members are no longer allowed. Congress can step up and take action and create legislation to protect our trans service members. And I would hope, I would hope that they do that proactively. There's nothing stopping um, that bipartisan support that I talked about earlier from submitting a bill to protect our trans service members. I hope and I expect that will be the outcome. For our Colorado residents who are transgender and um, who are having some concerns about this situation, I would tell you to keep faith. Um, I would tell, to, I would ask them to look at the examples that our active duty and reserve uh, transgender service members um, are providing on a daily basis. And I, I think that um, my advice to those, those servicemen and women is to do your job. Do the job to your best of your ability and prove President Trump wrong. You're not a disruption and your health care is not a tremendous burden. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today, Emma. My pleasure. You can read Emma's guest column at coloradoindependent.com um, as well as news from across the state. We are a nonprofit newsroom. So as always, if you feel inclined, please give us a quick, easy tax deductible donation, coloradoindependent.com slash donate. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>